there, and welcome to episode 15 of the T21 Mom podcast. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we'll talk about life, Down syndrome, mamahood, single parenting, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley, and she's six years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome. And I'm living life my way. Today, my friend Ron joins me. Hey, Mary. Hey, Ron. So we're getting some learning today. Yes, we are. We are going to talk to Susan Fawcett from the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, DSRF for short, and she is going to give us her top 10 list on behavioral strategies. Ooh, that sounds fascinating since we talk so much about behavioral strategies, especially around, you know, we had this discussion about the flop. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, and she talks about that? Yes, she does. Okay. So let's go talk to Susan. Hi there. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, we are joined by Susan, who is the Director of Therapy, Behavior, and Family Support Services at the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, the DSRF as we all call it. And welcome, Susan. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Susan. Hi. So, Mary, uh, Susan has quite a role at the DSRF, doesn't she? Yes, she does. And I'm so happy that she has agreed to come on the program today because I think parents out there are really going to benefit from what we're going to talk about today, about how they can use some of the strategies that Susan's going to talk about, about some positive behavior supports that can be used for our rocking kiddos. Okay, great. Susan, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and your background? Sure, absolutely. So I've uh, actually coming up on my uh, 16-year anniversary here next week, I think. Wow. Um, yeah. And I've been, uh, for most of that time, I've been the head speech-language pathologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, you know, well, fairly recently, I went back to school Um to do my PhD. And the reason why I did that was because I was finding that, you know, I kind of had the knack for how to help kids with Down syndrome with their speech and language, you know, it had been about 10 years. Um, But I still was really struggling with the kids who were having trouble with behavior um, or mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And so that was my main reason for, for going back to school. And so now I'm doing this PhD. I'm thankfully almost done. Um, I know it's been a really long time. Uh, in I'm at UBC in the, in the Department of uh, Educational and Counseling Psychology and Special Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I've learned now a lot about positive behavior support strategies through my supervisor, Dr. Joe Lucician, and um, am starting to be able to bring those to uh, parents and, and professionals through my role at DSRF, which is great. That's what, that's what I set out to do. So, <laughs> And we are all so grateful because like last year, I took part in your behavioral study and I am so glad that I was able to be chosen to be part of that study because it's really helped me uh, for, you know, not just Ainsley, but also for me, like in dealing with some of her challenging behaviors. And, and I know we can talk a little bit later about them, but, you know, as I'm sure every parent of a child with Down syndrome, like 
the dreaded drop and flop. And, you know, we worked on that. And I'm quite happy to say that we are still rocking that uh, skill. So or that good behavior. And and I know that's a lot to do with being part of your study and implementing the different strategies that you taught me. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, and I'm very grateful that you were part of it. You were amazing. Um, I mean, you you picked up on all those strategies so well and applied them really nicely with Ainsley. And that means, you know, you, you now have a dinner routine, a pre-dinner routine, sorry, that's running a bit more smoothly, right? Yes. Because you're able to apply a lot of the strategies and keep her safe as well. Because mm-hmm. um, she was engaging in some things that were, you know, on the dangerous side of things yeah. during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, we can we can talk about that some more later. I just wanted to, I, it's really funny that you mentioned the drop and flop, mm-hmm. because it's just something that we hear all the time. And I mean, it happens all the time with this population of kids. Mm-hmm. And now, funnily enough, research has caught up with what all parents already knew. <laughs> and there was a study recently that showed that, you know, kids with Down syndrome, that was the, one of the most common behaviors. Really? And they basically, yeah. So they found that uh, 71% of kids with Down syndrome, and they had a huge sample of like 300 kids, Mm -hmm. uh, do this. um, They they actually called it, in official research terms, they called it sitting down and refusing to move. Um, (laughs) A lot of them were doing that. Um, But they were, they also found that actually almost 100% of the kids, it was like 94% of them uh, engage in enough problem behavior that it limits their everyday, their ability to participate in everyday activities. So, you know, again, it's just kind of research catching up with what we already know. Mm -hmm. Um, It also, interestingly, found that um, kids basically don't grow out of the problem behaviors they get older because a lot of the problem behaviors they listed were actually more prevalent in older ages of kids with Down syndrome. And that's why we did that study was mm-hmm. to try I mean, the whole was to try and get, get you guys some skills to prevent problem behavior and problematic parent-child interactions from happening from an early age. So yeah, it was good. That's very interesting. And yes, basically you have to sort of deal with them as they come up because they're going to continue into teenage teenagehood and adulthood and probably get worse i'm guessing yeah yeah they can, they definitely can i mean not all the time but they they definitely there's a risk of that for sure or they morph into something that's even less desirable of right course. or you get the you get the scenario where you know the kids are engaging in these kind of um, funny little behaviors when they're little and they kind of sit down, will sit down and refuse to move, but parents can still pick them up and move them. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you get past the pick them up and move them stage, then it becomes quite problematic. Yes. Yeah. So today I know when we talked previously about you coming on, you explained that you have 10 strategies that we can touch on today and you can you know, go through them. And I think it'll be great for our listeners to hear them. And, you know, if it, if we're running a bit long, we may continue it for next week, but we'll just see how it goes because I think it'll be really informative for parents and they'll learn a lot from your presentation. So I also want the listeners, like we've already discussed, but to, to know that these strategies really do work. I was, you know, as I mentioned to you, I was a little bit skeptical in the beginning. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah there's, I don't think this is going to go over well or that this is going to work. But 
you know, I can, you know, I can say wholeheartedly that these strategies, if you're willing to do the work, they do work. And, you know, we did have success. Like, you know, we go into the stores now and Ainsley is not dropping and flopping. Like the other day we were already in the store and I think she actually just thought it was funny to lie on the ground, but it really wasn't that big of a deal before we couldn't even get into the store. And she's only done that once, I think, since we were part of the study. So I think that's a pretty good success. And so that's why I'm excited to have you on so that you can share some of these strategies with the other parents that are out there who are, who like, you know, 94% could be struggling with some of the same behaviors or some similar difficulties. Absolutely. Um, and just maybe a couple points before I get to the strategies themselves. Mm -hmm. um, one thing is that I think, you know, a lot of these strategies, there might not be a lot of surprise things that, you you know, parents are listening to and they're like, oh, I had no idea I should be doing that. Yeah. There, a lot of them will sound quite familiar. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, parents may be doing some of these things already. But what I want you to think about is that if you're still having trouble with problems behavior with your little kidlet, mm -hmm. um, could you be using the strategies more or could you be using them better, like okay. with more accuracy, yeah. basically? Okay, mm -hmm. so that's one thing to think about. And then the other thing to think about in terms of the kind of, you know, all of these strategies are what we call positive behavior support strategies. And that's, you know, a science, a, a science unto itself. Mm -hmm. um, out of the 10 strategies, one through seven are preventative in nature. Okay. And so this kind of is a little, can be off-putting to, to parents sometimes, <laughs> I think, who, you know, just kind of come to me, run up to me and say, well, what do I do when he takes his arm and swipes everything off the table? Or what do I do when she takes off down the road and is looking back at me laughing? You know, what do I do <laughs> when those kinds of things happen? Um, so there is the, the short answer there is there's not a lot you can do once your child is engaging in, you know, fairly significant problem behavior. Mm -hmm. you, you basically have to ride it out. But the point here is that we, we can shift our thinking about behavior from a reactive stance to a proactive stance. So, you know, it's tough to do, but we have to shift our thinking in that way. Right. And so I'm asking you to be planful as parents and to intervene before you actually see problem behavior occur. Um, but I promise you it's easier in the long run. Um, was that a, was that a difficult shift for you to make in your thinking when you took the program? Yes. Because like I said, I was a little bit skeptical because, you know, as, as you'll show, you know, we kind of know a lot of these things, but it's about doing them on a regular basis and you know and with continuity you know you can't just do it one day and not do it the next day and you know and I've and also routine is big you know getting in the habit like you know the before dinner routine you know that because that really worked I honestly did not think that it would work like and I'll just quickly explain what the behavior was so people yeah, realize go for it. is that I would be trying to make dinner and Ainsley would constantly be climbing up to the tv and turning it on and off or even if we were just watching TV, like not even before dinner, she would always be climbing up there and turning it on and off. And, you know, and just through being part of your your study, your program, 
is we came up with some strategies and how to deal with that. And a lot of it was just she wanted a little bit of attention before I was making dinner or when we're sitting watching TV, a little bit of right. her time. And, you know, and just spending some time with her, you know, interacting with her and all those things really worked because she very rarely does that now. So I'm very grateful for that because it was a problem. She was climbing yeah. up, standing up there. I mean, she's thankfully never fallen, but yeah. it's, and it was just annoying too, <laughs> you know, constantly turning on and off the TV. But yeah, so we worked through it and, and the strategies really do work. And I think people will, will find that they're not hard. It's just, but you just have to do them. Yeah, that's it. That's really good advice. Um, just one comment about her that, you know, you might, I think I might have told you this, but she, because I was there as an observer, and of mm -hmm. course, you were cooking, and I was watching this whole thing happen. You know, when you say that it was for attention, you are absolutely right when you figured that out, mm -hmm. because when she would climb up, she would kind of play with it. So it was definitely that she wanted to play with the TV as well. But she would also be craning her little head around to see when you were going to come in and catch her in the act. <laughs> so it was clearly, you know, <laughs> it was clearly attention motivated, at least in part, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then so that, you know, the first strategy is actually one that you already said, which was to make sure that you're spending quality time with your kidlet. Right. Um, I think, you know, sometimes when when there's a, a lot of problem behavior around or things are a struggle or parents feel like they have to teach their kids with Down syndrome all the time, your interactions become a bit, you know, not as positive as they should be. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And so just taking some time every day or as often as you can to just play with your kid. Mm -hmm. Right. You want you want to follow her lead or his lead and just just kind of have a really good time. Do whatever they want to do. You know, don't try to impress your own agenda on them. Um, <laughs> because if they, if your kid sees you as somebody warm and fun and, and somebody they enjoy spending time with, then the behavior will be better right from the outset, right? Yes. So making sure that you have time set aside to do that is really important. And one thing that always stuck with me that you said is, just the law of positive behavior right if the positive behavior increases the bad behavior has to decrease and exactly. I and I thought wow yeah that totally makes sense but I never had thought of it that way and it is true like you know yeah. once the positive behavior is increasing the negative behavior it it either goes away or it's or you can definitely see a decrease in it yeah, because you can't behave in a naughty way and a good way at the same time. Yeah. 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 So that, yeah. And that's, um, we're going to talk about that one a little bit more when we talk about um, some consequence-based strategies at the end too. But that's okay. that's good that that law stuck with you. It's, I think it's it's important to remember that behavior actually is quite lawful, not just for kids with Down syndrome, but for everybody. It mm -hmm. follows, definitely follows laws. Um, so the second strategy is uh, that there are some 
things about kids with Down syndrome, typically medical type things Mm -hmm. that make it more likely that they will engage in problem behavior if they happen to be experiencing those things. So these are things that I'm sure all the parents are familiar with, such as, you know, ear infections, Mm -hmm. respiratory illness, poor sleep. Um, He only wants to eat fishy crackers and therefore maybe not, you know, exactly running on the best fuel, right? So if you take all of those things together, that can really set up a a little person for not very good behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about things like how, how you function, how your behavior is after you had a poor night's sleep mm-hmm. or after you ate, you know, a giant bowl of pasta with cream sauce for lunch, <laughs> you know, your behavior is not likely going to be the best afterwards. Um, and it works exactly the same way for kids with Down syndrome, except you're piling sort of a bunch of things on top of each other. And so the first thing is just to be aware of those things and make sure that you, that you take care of those things as best you can. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, but having said that, it's not always possible for your kids to get a good sleep. It's not always possible for them to eat perfectly. Uh, Definitely not. That's not always possible. (laughs) So you can also do things like reducing your expectations when some of those things are around. Mm -hmm. Um, Giving your kids more help or more breaks right from the start of the day. I think it's really important to, for parents to let schools know if kids didn't have a good sleep or if they're ill so that the school can do those things, right? Mm-hmm. They can provide more breaks. They can provide more help. They can provide more rewards for doing things. They can do more review activities instead of learning something new that day. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a big one to just always remember that, that the way the child is feeling is really going to set them up either well for behavior or not so well for behavior. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure all parents, you know, have recognized that the behavior is really different from day to day. Right. Of course. But I think part of it is also just going, yeah, that is true. Like, and actually just acknowledging that, that, yeah, yeah, they're not feeling great today. And that's probably why they were a little bit naughtier or, or whatever. But I think, yeah, sometimes you just have to just acknowledge that and go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It kind of, it kind of puts your own mind at ease too a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you have some understanding about why they might be behaving the way they are, it gives you a little more it gives you a different perspective. For sure. Yeah. 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 Um so the third one uh is um what we call effective requests. Mm-hmm. And this is basically that there's the idea here is that there's a way that you can ask your kids to do things. Um, or to get you to tell your kids to do things that make it more likely that he or she will follow through. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now notice I did not say that we'll make it for sure that he or she will follow (laughs) through because I cannot guarantee that. Um, But there are certain things that you can do when you're asking your little guy or gal to do things that will make it more likely. So these are things like making sure you keep your instructions short So using something like, you know, put shoes on instead of, can you please put your shoes on, honey, right? That's, that's too much language. We know that kids with Down syndrome have trouble with a lot of verbal language. So Mm -hmm. you want to try and keep it short, Um, making sure you don't phrase things in terms of questions, right? Right. So if I ask you, can you put your shoes on, please, Mary, you could say, no, 
no, exactly. And lots of times that's that's what happens. Um, I always joke now that after I did all those videos of the, you know, because I had to, for all the 12 families, you mm-hmm. and everybody else, I had to do videos, right? And, and I since have decided that as a speech therapist, I'm not going to teach kids with Down syndrome how to say no anymore <laughs> because they say way too much. <laughs> Uh, of course, I'm kidding, but um, I just, yeah, my, my heart went out to the parents, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you want to keep your instructions short. You want to make sure you get your child's attention first. You don't want to ask a question. You want to make it really specific. And then the other piece here is that when you give a request like that, make sure you follow through with it. Right. So if they yes. put shoes on and Ainsley doesn't put her shoes on, then you're going to say, you know, I'm going to help you with that. Mm-hmm. Because what you don't want them to learn is that your words have no meaning. And that's often, I think, why parents feel frustrated. They feel naggy, right? Mm-hmm. They feel oh, I have to ask her like 10 times. But the thing is, your child has learned that that you aren't really serious until time number 11. (laughs) So um, making sure that your your words have meaning. And then the the thing to keep in mind too with the effective requests is actually you don't want to give too many of them. Because we know that that asking kids with Down syndrome to do things is likely going to cause problem behavior in a lot of instances, mm-hmm. right? They get mad, they turn their back, you know, turn the iPad off. I mean, that's going to just be, you know, all bad. Yeah. Um, so you definitely don't want to give too many. You want to give, you know, just the, the right amount of verbal demands like this so that they're likely to be successful with them. And make sure that you practice using this skill um, as parents on things that you know your child is likely to follow through on. Right. And then you start yeah. building in some harder requests yes. later. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um The next one, number four, is about offering choices. Mm -hmm. And again, this is likely not super new to everybody. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's definitely a really big one. um, Mm -hmm. And it works really well if you can get fluent with it. So um, the reason why we want to get kids to, I mean, for one thing, you can use it as an alternative to giving a verbal demand. So instead of put shoes on, you're going to pick up two pairs of shoes, you know, pink ones or purple ones. And you're going to say, Hey, Ainsley, pink or purple. Right. Right. And then, and then that's, she's going to be much more likely to comply and, and chances are she'll go, she'll pick one and she'll go ahead and, and put them on and you haven't actually made a demand. Right. right. This mm-hmm. is a good way to get around making too many requests of your kids. So um, you basically want to keep the choices to two or three only. Okay. Whenever possible, you want to have um, the visual, either the actual object of those choices, or you want to have a visual of the choices mm-hmm. um, along with you, because, of course, we know that kids with Down syndrome, I'm sure people have learned on your podcast already, <laughs> that visual learners, mm-hmm. right? And they do best with visual presentations of things. Um, but you can, there's tons of different ways you can offer choices. I mean, you can off- offer it in terms of, you know, color of shoes or pants. You can offer it in terms of a, you know, a task or activity. So do you want to do reading or do you want to do 
counting. Um, do you want uh, to do this many sight words and you can show them like a little thin stack or this many and you show them a thicker stack? Um, you can, you know, work for five minutes or you can work for 10 minutes, you choose. Those kinds of things. And the interesting thing here is that it doesn't actually have to be between two preferred things. And it's actually works quite well to use choice within a non-preferred routine or task for a child with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I learned that lesson my very first summer here when I was trying to get one of the kids. We had a summer camp running for little kids at the time. And there was a little guy who was, you know, it was, it was time to, for everybody to sit in the circle and he was doing laps around the circle instead of sitting in it. <laughs> um, so I was doing laps around him and the, the uh, head SLP at the time said, why don't you give him a choice of what chair he wants to sit in? And I was like, well, he doesn't want to sit in the circle, so that's not going to work. But actually, once I said, do you want the red chair or the blue chair? He picked one. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, it really, you know, it, it can be quite a powerful strategy. And I think, you know, it's really important too here to keep in mind the rationale. So mm -hmm. the rationale here is that kids with developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities, do better. Uh, they cooperate more when they're presented with choices within a task. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is because it helps them start to be independent. Yes. And we know, I'm sure all the parents now are nodding, that their kids really like to have independence. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is definitely something that, you know, kids with Down syndrome, especially when they get into the kind of, you know, elementary school years, when they start getting quite into those they, they definitely want that, they crave that sense of independence. Mm -hmm. These are kids, who, you know, a lot of decisions are made for them on a regular basis. And so if we can give them just a little bit of say mm -hmm. in what's happening with them, it gives them more buy-in, basically. Oh, I agree 100%. Like, I remember someone else was saying, you know, they're all day they're being told what to do and, you know, go here, do this. But it gives them a little bit of power when they can make yeah. that choice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think um, you, you actually were really good with this skill. So what are some, what were some of the choices that you were giving Ainsley during that routine? I think it was, if you wanted to read a book or your iPad or even yeah. just what choice of book that she wanted to read. And sometimes we used to play like a little, a game and she could choose which game she wanted to do and you know and, and it doesn't have to be for a long period of time it was just really five or well probably around 10 minutes and you know and that kind kind of calmed her down and allowed her to be engaged and then she wasn't like running up to the tv and climbing up on everything and yeah and it and it worked rather quickly too once those strategies were implemented it didn't take long for that behavior to drop yeah yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? You mm -hmm. just need a few under your belt and use them consistently, and it can work quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's not a guarantee, mind you, but um, <laughs> but, but uh, it it definitely can for sure. Um, so the next one I have that number five is to use something we call positive contingency statements, which is basically just to let kids know that if they, you know, do something uh, that's not 
their favorite thing, that something good is coming afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you, you know, finish this math worksheet, then you can watch, um, uh, your favorite TV show. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, those kinds of things. And, and so that's in that form of that first, then, mm -hmm. um, that we definitely use a lot for for kids with Down syndrome and it kind of keeps them you know engaged especially if you put this in visual form so you can use you know a few things on a schedule with a reward at the end mm -hmm. um, or you can just do one thing with a reward at the end and that's where I would suggest starting with kids if you have young kids um, but you know just letting them know that if they finish this hard thing um, that they've got something good that's coming up and you can actually get get them to choose and build in that element mm -hmm. of choice, what their reward is going to be up front. So again, they're the one who's picking what mm -hmm. they get to do at the end, right? Yes. So um, that can be really, uh, really powerful as well. Um, oh, yes, I can, I can attest to that with Ainsley. I, I don't know if we, we talked about it with Riley. It's slightly different, but it was, you know, when I talked to you about the hair pulling, and right. we used a token reward and she knew if she got to five without, you know, gentle hands that she could, and she got to pick her reward. It was either a spin in the chair or they had this sort of boat that she could go into. And I think there might've been one more. I think the iPad might've been sometimes a choice and, and it was very powerful. I have to say very, very powerful. It yeah. Worked. And yeah. it's also, yeah, it works really well. And it's, it is getting into consequence strategies a little bit too. Um, cause we're talking about prevention right now. Um, but, but it definitely, if you can have, um, a reward of some kind for desired behavior, that's a really powerful strategy for mm -hmm. kids with intellectual disabilities, especially if you, you know, represent it visually so that, so that it's a permanent thing they can see. It's not just you telling them first, you have to, you know, um, eat your Brussels sprouts and then you can have dessert, right? <laughs> you want to, you want to actually have a picture of the Brussels sprouts, finish these first, and then a picture of cake or ice cream or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and if any of you are getting your kids to eat Brussels sprouts, let me know how you did that. That, <laughs> that would be very hard. <laughs> um, so the next one, uh, number six, is incorporating preferences. And this is one that we use. I mean, I, I think all of these strategies we as therapists here at DSRF use uh, on a regular basis. But I seriously don't think we could do our jobs if we didn't have this one. Mm -hmm. So this is basically about, you know, we just talked about Brussels sprouts. What do you do if you want to try and get your kid to start eating Brussels sprouts? What do you do to them? you give it to them you give it to them but what might you what might you do to adapt the brussels sprouts so that they're more appealing well you're probably going to hide it in something exactly yeah. okay so you might cover them in cheese yeah for example okay so this is, is exactly what we're talking about we're basically talking about covering you know getting dressed in the morning brushing teeth uh doing math worksheets with cheese that's essentially what we're talking about. So you basically want to think about what your child really, really, really likes. And this is going to be very individual. You know, I think we had one, my, one of my favorite ones was we had a kid here who was really into hair. And so his like long, beautiful mm -hmm. colored hair, right? Mm -hmm. So he, you know, his, his 
teacher here basically made books that were all about hair and you know I mean you could be like well maybe he should have other interests but that's not really for us to judge Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. so she basically just incorporated that preference into a very difficult activity which was reading right and that made it more appealing for him right up front Mm -hmm. So that's basically what we're talking about. So whether it's Paw Patrol or Moana or, you know, any of those kinds of things, if you can stick references to those in there, um, there was a little dude in the, in the study who um, their routine, you know, you had the pre-dinner routine, but of mm-hmm. course, another one of the really hard routines that a lot of parents picked was grocery shopping. Oh yeah. Right. And yeah. of course that was one of your second ones, mm-hmm. right? Um, so this was a mom who was really struggling with his, her little dude in the grocery store. And he was really into Clifford, the big red dog. Mm -hmm. And so to get him to move fairly quickly throughout the store without running, she got him to take big steps like Clifford, right? (laughs) So he was taking big giant steps as he pushed the cart. Oh, wow. that's that's another example of incorporating preferences and the, the easiest way to do this you don't even need things like you know moana or pepper pig peppa pig or whatever mm-hmm. you can just do um uh you can just build preferences into your interactions so if you know that your child tends to be tends to laugh at certain things then you want to build in those kinds of interactions right up front and again just Keep in mind, I'm saying upfront. So mm-hmm. what you don't want to do is wait until your child, say you're doing, you know, a reading with mm-hmm. Ainsley, right? And she's doing okay for a while, and then she starts to kind of taper off. And her behavior, she starts to get wiggly, maybe she starts whining a little bit. And at that point, you're like, oh, what can I do? I could incorporate some preferences. <laughs> So then you bring out, which isn't a bad thought. I mean, it's a good thought. I'm mm-hmm. glad your brain went there. But you bring out a, a new book that's more appealing to her. But the problem is, what has she learned there? What's the sequence that she learned? Well, if she, if her behavior is not good, that she gets what she wants. Like she gets exactly. a better book, right? Exactly. Okay, so a lot of this is about timing. Mm-hmm. So um, making sure that you do these things up front and that these kind of silly, fun interactions are um, mom or dad initiated rather than kid initiated. Okay, so you're doing it, you're building it in right up front in routines or tasks that you know are hard for your kid mm-hmm. um, before you see any problem behavior. Right. Because we don't want to we don't want to bring out the big guns after the child starts engaging in problem behavior, because then they learn exactly what you just said. Yeah. So but we you know, there's tons of different things you can do here. There's you know, you can walk like animals. You can have a race if kids are not, you know, fond of walking. You can um, you can start uh, you you can pretend to eat things. You Mm -hmm. can right? That aren't edible. You, I mean, there's a million different things you can do. I, I think there was another um, mom in the study who would talk to her kid in different accents because that made her <laughs> laugh while they were doing reading, right? Yeah. I don't have that capability myself, but that was great for her. It worked really well, right? Or another mom, um, which I really loved, the little 
Pumpkin did not want to brush her teeth. And so mom turned the bathroom into a disco. Yes. Complete with a disco ball and, <laughs> you know, loud music. And, and she did that right up front. And then the little kid was all of a sudden brushing her teeth for, you know, a minute. Yes. Right? Where she, mom couldn't even get, get the toothbrush in her mouth before. Wow. So, you know, kids with Down syndrome tend to risk, well, kids in general, but mm-hmm. definitely kids with Down syndrome, most of whom I would say have a fairly fun loving personality mm-hmm. will really benefit from this strategy. So, um, and I get, I would say too, like, I get that it's not a natural thing for everybody to, you know, take things out of your purse and put them on your head with a silly expression on your face. <laughs> Um, but even if you can just find a couple of ways of interaction, interacting with your kid that he or she enjoys mm-hmm. and you have those in your back pocket that you can pull out um, that you aren't going to be embarrassed about in public situations, <laughs> um, then, yeah, that will work just fine. Uh, so the next one is uh, number seven, mm-hmm. and it's using a safety signal. And this is actually our last um, preventative strategy. Uh, so this is basically letting your child know that something difficult to tolerate is does have an end coming, right? So right. this is basically something like um, that that you know in one more minute. Uh, you'll be, we'll be all done and you can, you know, go do something better. Or we're going to have two more bites of Brussels sprouts and then finished, Mm -hmm. right? So what this does that's really great is it helps build tolerance for difficult tasks, right? So you start Mm -hmm. with one more and then when your kid is good at doing one more, then you start with, then you go to two more and then you go to three more, right? And you can, you can definitely build their attention span that way Mm -hmm. and you build their ability to wait, which is really tough for a lot of kids. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then, then we move into, um, the last couple are kind of teaching and consequence strategies. Mm -hmm. So we don't just want to prevent problem behavior because, um, we also want to teach kids skills that will help them engage in good behavior Um, all the time Mm -hmm. right so and we know that kids with down syndrome struggle with lots of these skills these are things like self-help skills social skills communication skills Um, the one I specifically wanted to talk about because I think parents can uh, you know use it quite readily is to use a functional communication phrase and get your child to to do that so this is about kids um, engaging in, prob- actually all of us, engaging in problem behavior for one of four reasons, okay? There are only four reasons. There's es- to escape something you don't want or mm-hmm. you don't like. There's to get attention. Mm-hmm. There's to get uh, what we call tangible, and that can be either an object or a uh, event or a activity of some kind that they mm-hmm. want or to get automatic reinforcement, which are what we think of as those self-stimulatory behaviors. So those basically, um, there's a message inside the little um, kidlet's body that's telling them I need to wake up or I need to calm down, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you wanna teach kids, uh, and you can, get your, you can get help from your friendly neighborhood speech language pathologist on this one, <laughs> but you wanna teach your kids and reward them for basically saying a message that replaces the problem behavior. So 
for example, you know, with Ainsley, we um, were trying to get her to, instead of climbing up on the TV, to just call for you, right? To call for your attention. Mm-hmm. And that true of the of the kids the other kids who were having trouble in this routine as well right getting them to say mom come or mom look um or just even mom Mm -hmm. right yeah so that that's an appropriate way now to get your attention instead of i'm going to climb up on this tv turn it off and then my mom is going to come running in because i'm doing something unsafe right right so you've replaced the behavior with something um much more appropriate basically Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and there, you know, the, for escape, it would be something like, I don't want that or help please. Cause mm-hmm. lots of the time when kids are trying to escape from activities, it's cause they need help. Right. Um, or, you know, I need a break. Like I, I, I'm okay doing this right now, mom, but I just, I need a break for a second. Mm-hmm. Right. So teaching them those kinds of messages is really um, helpful. And then uh, the automatic reinforcement one is a little more complicated, but it would be something like, you know, I'm bored or I'm, I'm um, stressed or I'm, I need to calm down, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Uh, and the last one, the tangible one is essentially an I want message. Right. Right. Like I want um, the chips or I want the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're going to teach them to ask for those things instead of grabbing them off grocery shelves, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that can always be fun. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then the last two strategies are the consequence based ones. So these are now things we're going to do after behavior. So okay. those the first ones were, you know, preventative and teaching. And now we're going to talk about what to do about after behavior. And I'm going to talk about what to do after good behavior first, because it's frankly more important. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk about what to do. The last strategy will be what to do when kids um, are not behaving so desirably. Okay. Uh, so the the one where we what we want to do when kids engage in adaptive desirable behavior is we really want to give them a lot of praise Mm -hmm. um and i would say that for parents listening to this um today that you know if you take one thing away from this podcast it's that that you need to be praising your kids more. So this was definitely one that was um, when I did all those videos of, you know, before you guys did the parent training program and afterwards, before lots of you weren't using praise at all, like not even a little bit. And then afterwards, lots of you were using tons of it. And there were, there were definite improvements in the kids' behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So Um, And it goes back to what you said at the beginning, which is that if you can increase, reinforce positive behavior through the use of praise and rewards, Mm -hmm. then the problem behavior without addressing it at all just has to go down. So, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the big thing to remember here. And I can you want to. Yeah, because Ainsley. Yeah, she really responds to positive behavior, like just even with the whole potty training basically I didn't we didn't have to use a real reward per se praise actually was sufficient for her and she loves the praise and her aide does it at school as well and Ainsley you know we always do hands up like you know when you're getting ready to do yes 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 you know because she's getting ready because she wants to do it because she's excited that she's going to get some praise and she wants to participate in it too yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it definitely 
it definitely was a game changer for sure. Yeah. And this is because, I mean, I don't want to, I never like, you know, sweeping generalization statements about kids with Down syndrome, because of course they're all very individual people, Mm -hmm. but um, they do tend to be on the people pleasing side of things. And they definitely tend to be quite motivated by social rewards. Mm -hmm. So they really, as you just said with Ainsley, they really like praise, right? They look, they, they're constantly looking at our faces for mm-hmm. expressions and, you know, um, they want high fives all the time and fist bumps and hugs and, you know, all of those kinds of things um, are really appealing to kids with Down syndrome. And if you can get good at it and you can do it frequently enough, it's, it's a great way that, you know, you can have, it's a portable thing. You can have it with you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely, there's both verbal and nonverbal praise. So the nonverbal being things like fist bumps and high fives and, you know, um, shaking hands for some of the older kids, they like that. Um, but the verbal side, you know, the, these are the wows and good job and mm-hmm. awesome, that kind of thing. Remembering too, that you want to make sure that you pepper in some specific praise. So Mm -hmm. we also want kids to know exactly what it was that they did well, so that they'll be more likely to do that again, right? Mm -hmm. So saying something like, that was great putting your shoes on, right? So that they they hear, or um, I really like how you listened to me and you waited, you or you waited beside me, or I really love your gentle hands is one thing you might say to Ainsley, right? If she's your hands um, close to her body, um, and using gentle hands and not pulling hair, Mm -hmm. you're basically what you want, what parents want to think about here is what are the things that are driving you crazy? Mm -hmm. Right? And and parents will be able to list those things for sure. (laughs) And then you want to flip those on their head and think about what it is that's the opposite of those things, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you want to see instead? So for Ainsley pulling hair, the exact opposite is keeping her hands close to her body or using gentle hands, Yes. right? So those are the things you're going to praise her for. Yep. Um, And it's just really, um, you know, it's important to use as much of this as you can. I think, you know, parents do tend to use a lot of corrective feedback, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and I mean, that's, that's a very natural thing to do. I'm sure that's the reason why we do that is because, you know, our parents did it with us, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure most of us didn't have parents that were overly enthusiastic about (laughs) things that we were doing that we did well, you know, they didn't give us this enthusiastic praise. Mm -hmm. So it's not a really natural skill, right? It's much more natural for a parent to say, oh, don't do that. Or, you know, I, you know, I don't like it when you do that, or, you know, that's not safe or those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So just keeping in mind that for kids with Down syndrome, you have to change, you have to change that around, you have to flip that the other way. So you, right now, you're likely giving a lot of corrective feedback and a little bit of praise. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is give a lot of praise and a little bit of corrective feedback. Yeah, and I did find that it gets easier as you practice it and also being very specific because you know I do talk to other parents on different forums and things and I say you know our kids respond really well with praise but you got to be as you said very specific about the praise you know like with Ainsley when we worked on going in into the grocery stores you're doing so well riding up the Movator and 
you know, you're, you're walking so awesome. And, you know, she would always want a banana or whatever. And I'd say, okay, let, you know, let's go get a banana. So like that was a little bit of a reward for her as well. So yeah, those, and I know it does feel unnatural initially, but then it just becomes a part of your repertoire, I guess. Like you're just, it, it just becomes very natural after a while. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that you said that as a parent who went from, you know, like, you know, it, it did feel unnatural at first, but you just have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and you will you will get used to it. Um, it's just not, it, it might feel a bit awkward at first, for sure. Yeah, practice makes perfect, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and then the last one is, you know, finally, what everybody always wants to know is what do I do about problem behavior? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple things here to keep in mind. So if your child is engaging in major problem behavior, so I'm talking now like a lengthy temper tantrum, you know, they've drop, done a drop and flop and they have their face down on the floor and they're not, they're literally not moving and it's in the middle of a mall. Um, and, or, or things like, you know, they've run away and you can't find them for half an hour or they've, you know, destroyed the iPad or they've hurt somebody. I mean, these are all examples of major problem behavior and, Mm -hmm. you know, this doesn't happen super often with kids with Down syndrome, but it definitely can happen with Mm -hmm. some of them. Um, And the important thing to remember there is when they do things like that, they're at a very heightened state of arousal. And just, you know, FYI, so are you as a parent Mm -hmm. in those situations. And so to be honest, there's really not a lot you can do. You kind of have to wait it out. um, And you just have to take some deep breaths. And, you know, in the parent program, we talked about uh, mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is you know a, another thing that will help you in these kinds of instances. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to kind of calm down yourself. Your kid has to calm down, um, and so you you just kind of have to think about get through it and think about what am I going to do next time to make sure that doesn't happen again. And yes. that's really all you can do. Now there is though a lot of minor problem behavior. So now we're talking about things like. You know, you ask um, Ainsley to turn the iPad off and she turns around and pretends <laughs> that you're not there, right? Oh, yeah. Or, or um, you know, I mean, just the, like the no thing, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or a little bit of whining or I'm going to, you know, I ask so, so-and-so to come to the table because it's dinner time and they go the other direction, right? They go to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So. What you want to do in these instances is actively ignore and positively redirect. And so there's a couple pieces there. So the active ignoring is basically about your what your face is going to look like as you're dealing with this problem behavior. Okay, so what you want to aim for here is no expression on your face. Mm-hmm. And again, this is going to be really hard for some people. Like, it's actually really hard for me, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, kids with Down syndrome do tend to do a lot of very cute, charming things mm-hmm. that nevertheless are problematic right because they get them out of doing stuff but sometimes these things are really funny and of course my instinct um being a very silly person is to laugh right Mm -hmm. but I've learned that that is not a good idea because I'm just letting them know that 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 kind of behavior has entertained me Mm -hmm. so again there's a time and a place for that stuff 
right? right? So what you want to do is not what I do. Don't laugh. Um, and also don't get mad, right? You want a really neutral facial expression mm-hmm. because these are kids who are very in tune with your face. They're very in tune with your emotions. Kids with Down syndrome have higher levels of empathy than kids who are typically developing. They really pick up on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they actually are just as rewarded by negative attention as they are positive attention. And so that's why we're going for neutral here. So you want to think about those, um, you know, I think in that program, I showed you a picture of one of those Easter Island statues, the Moai, mm-hmm. right? Like those stone guys. Yeah. You basically want to have stone face. Yeah. Okay. So no expression at all. And you, you may want to practice this with a friend or a partner um, <laughs> just so you can get the hang of it. But you're basically going to have that kind of face. And then you're going to actively, that's your active ignoring, and you're going to be positively redirecting your child. So then you're just going to say, you know, if they've taken off into the other room, you're going to get behind them and you're going to say, right now we're having dinner. And you're going to very gently physically guide them back to the table. Okay. So you, the big point here, the main point here is, number one, this is really hard to do because mm-hmm. parents tend to really react to problem behavior, of course, right? It's, yeah. it's really hard not to do it. So don't beat yourself up if you try this and it's hard the first several times. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is just the main thing to remember is don't overreact to mm-hmm. problem behavior, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's that you don't want to give more attention to them. These are kids who really like attention and you just don't want to be giving them that after problem behavior. You want to save that for when that attention for when they're doing something you like and you want them to do more. And that's basically the main, the main point. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and you're right. It does take a lot of practice and I, I've had to really practice too because, you know, I'm often more, I guess uh, my face or whatever is a little bit more engaged with Ainsley because, you know, it's just, just how it is. But I've, I've learned when that, that, that those problem behaviors do show up, you just can't react. You have to have pretty much a flat expression and yeah. to, to deal with it. Yeah. And it, do, yeah, it does work. Good word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's about, I mean, that's, that's about it for the, for the strategies. Well, that's an awesome top 10 list. And I just wanted to maybe talk just briefly about what this, because I know the drop and flop is a huge issue for a lot of our kiddos. And for me personally, because it was very frustrating, I would always end up having to find a cart and to put her in there. And I thought, well, you know, she should really, we're not going in for long and I don't need to get many things. But for me going into, it was pretty much any store actually. She would just, as soon as we walked in the door, she just dropped right at the entrance and would not move. And you know, she's getting big and she was getting harder to actually physically move. But you know, and with talking with you and learning, like I learned that I, one of the big things was, is I never really told Ainsley what we were doing. We would just show up at the store and she doesn't know what's going on. And so now I make sure I, I explain to her, okay, we're going to the store. I only have to get a couple of things. I can't expect her to walk throughout the store if I got to do a huge shop. I think that's unrealistic. And Absolutely. especially, you know, and I think most parents realize that too, that if their kid's a little bit younger, you can't expect them to spend half an hour, 45 minutes wandering around the store and not sit down or drop and flop. And also um, I use the, the a little peck strip 
occasionally where I showed what we were actually getting and it because it was always just a couple of things and we and then we would count down when we were getting the items and she always really liked to like and you have it in your video where she likes to open the freezer doors and so yeah. I made yeah don't know why but she always wants to open the freezer doors so I always made yeah. sure even if we weren't going down that aisle that she got to do that so that was like a little reward and also at one of the stores they you can get a free piece of fruit if you're with for your child so we would always like it's right there when we get in and she would always go oh banana and we'd always go over and get one and i like all of those things really really worked and you know yeah. we only have a few more things to get only two and i was very specific you can't say few uh you have to say okay only two more things yeah and and tons of praise throughout you're doing so well you're walking so well you're you're doing awesome and yeah i found that it really made a huge difference and and they weren't hard to implement by any means very yeah. they were all very simple to do and and i and i remember telling another parent recently i said i never told ainsley like what we were doing or where we were going so of course it's her way of resisting and once i started doing that just that little thing that made a big difference and and, and the other parent i was talking to said yeah like they didn't realize that they did the same thing where they just showed up, you know, never telling their kid because maybe we might have been assuming they wouldn't necessarily understand. But I think our kiddos do understand a lot more sometimes than we give them credit for because maybe they can't verbalize that they actually understand that. But it was they were such simple and easy strategies to implement and they worked. Excellent. Yeah, you I mean, you mentioned basically the whole top 10 right there. Right. <laughs> I mean, you had lots of them in there in that mm -hmm. example. Um, and I, uh, I'm just remembering back to when I was watch observing her at your house and you mm -hmm. actually had that video that you had taken of the grocery store and she actually wanted to watch that. That was like, <laughs> that was reinforcing for her to it's, watch the still... video of herself engaging in good behavior, which was great. Yeah. And she still likes yeah. to watch it. She loves to look yeah. at pictures of herself and she loves, yeah. And the videos too. Like self-modeling. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. I, well, I hope that this has been, I'm, I know, I, I'm sure people will really benefit from this top 10 list. And so what are some of the services that you offer at the DSRF? Like, cause now you're offering like the positive behavioral supports, right. correct? Yes. Yeah. So we have, I have a couple of new things on the go. I'm still doing a little bit of speech therapy cause you know, tea parties with little kids are really fun and I always want to do that. Mm -hmm. But we also have a, um, a positive behavior support for families um, service. So this would be sort of a one-to-one -one thing mm -hmm. um, where it would be, you know, me assessing the family's child and, and the family and then basically developing a behavior plan for one um, routine that the family is having trouble with. Like right now I'm working with a family on their, you know, going for a walk routine, which is really tricky for them. So, um, you know, there, that's one service. Mm -hmm. And then um, another one that has to do with behavior is that, you know, we did do the parent training program as a research study, but now that I know that it worked, mm -hmm. um, which is great, uh, and science and math backs that up, which is even better, mm -hmm. um, that now we're going to offer that here as well. So probably in early 2020, we'll be having a, um, the program for 
it'll be for kids aged up to eight. Mm -hmm. So if your child is um, pre-age eight, mm -hmm. uh, they could, you can enroll in the program. So it's basically a, you know, a 14 week course um, where, you know, you, you come for once a week for two and a half hours, you get to connect with other parents, you learn a, a lot more about these strategies that I touched on today. Mm -hmm. um, and you get some, you know, some individualized support to, to do them at home as well. Yes. And so that, and that was the study that like, that's the 14 weeks is like what I did the 14 yeah. weeks. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was very involved and you know, and it was a lot of effort. Cause I remember thinking 14 weeks, that's a yeah. long time, but you know, I'm so grateful that we were able to be a part of that study because it just, it made such a huge difference. So if people are interested in finding out more, how can they contact you? Well, they can definitely email me. So it's just Susan at dsrf.org, okay. um, you know, or call e either one is fine. So they can find um, the number on the website. Yeah. It, it's 604-444-3773. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Or, or if they also want to, they could just go to dsr dsrf.org. Exactly. To check out the website. Yeah, for sure. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Susan. I really appreciate You're your time. Welcome. Yeah, and I'm sure parents will really benefit from the different strategies. And then obviously, if they want to learn more and a little bit more in depth, they can they can get a hold of you through email or phone call. They definitely can. Absolutely. I welcome it. Thanks for joining us via Skype today there, Susan. No problem. And Thanks I, for having me. And Ron, I could see, was quite enjoying it. I could see him like giggling across from me, trying to not laugh too loud. Well, well, so, well just, just the description of some of those behaviors was just, I'm, I'm just sitting here going, yep, seen that one. Yep, seen that one. Seen that one. <laughs> and I don't have kids. I've just seen it in grocery stores. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I saw some good things in grocery stores. That's for sure. I actually also learned just really quickly. I learned to always wash my lemons because on two separate occasions, you don't always think to wash your lemons because maybe you, you know, maybe you just cut them open and squeeze the inside out. But now I wash them because on two separate occasions, I saw children lick them and put them back. <laughs> Okay, note to self. Note to self. Yeah. Well, well and, and especially if you're going to, and if you're going to zest the lemon too, right? So. Yeah. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> then you really need to be careful about washing it. You're you gonna don't zest. know where it's yeah. been. It's it's not about the no. dirt and the pesticides. No. <laughs> no, it's about the licking. It's the licking. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I do really appreciate your time and for you to come on the T21 Mom podcast today. It's been great having you, and it's so informative and I can personally vouch that these strategies do work. You just have to be persistent in, in implementing them and, and just keep in mind that as good behavior goes up, bad behavior decreases. Right. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. <laughs> A lot of good information there, Mary. Yes, there was. And I really hope our listeners were able to get a lot from this episode because as I mentioned, I was part of Susan's study and I learned a lot and it's helped me immensely. And I really hope that some of these strategies will be able to assist our listeners in some of these challenging behaviors that some of our kids have. Well, I know I learned a lot, so I hope everybody else did too. I'm sure they did. All right. What, are, what have you got planned for us for next time? Well, next time we are going to talk to Jen. 
She is our amazing support worker that I've talked about on numerous previous episodes. And we're going to hear a little bit about her and what she does and how she has helped me and Ainsley. Okay. I'll look forward to that one. Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast. And I would love to hear from you. What things are important to you as you navigate this journey of special needs and Down syndrome? How are you doing things your way? Drop us a line at our email at info at t21mom.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram, which is trisomy21mama and also on Twitter, trisomy21mama. Is there any place we're not? No, I think we've covered all our bases. (laughs) (laughs) And let us know what's going on in your life. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review And let us know how you're liking our podcast. And if there's anything you would like us to talk about or any stories you want to share, we really want to hear from you. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.